It is Dragon Football Sunday, and so you can't have that without your football. You don't go anywhere without your football. So if someone's ready for a pass, we'll see. Okay. Um, I got to be able to trust you first. So uh, that would be that would be great on there. It is, like I said, Dragon Dragon Football Sunday, and and having uh, our guests from across the street is is fantastic. This is. Um, this is a, a really good thing that's there. One of the things that I love about my job, I've been youth pastor here at this church for 23 years, and and 21 of them I've been able to be the chaplain or character coach for Round Rock High School football, and uh, and in recent years the baseball team as well. And and man, what an honor that is to get to do that. That there would be a school that would take time out. It's voluntary for the players and coaches to come, but man, they gather and they give me 10, 12 minutes, and I just get to share the love of Christ. I get to share challenges to their hearts and hopefully they receive that stuff and know that I care about them greatly, that we care about them greatly. Um, to do that, it's not about performance, it's about character and, and we talk about these kind of things. And it's fun to be a part of something that's special. And Coach Cheatham uh, allowing me uh, to be a part of that and Coach Carter uh, with the baseball team. Allow, I mean, they have this thing and they call it brotherhood. And and until you be a part of something like that, you don't understand brotherhood. You don't understand what it is to, to lock arms and go into battle for each other, not just with each other. And, and they let me do that. And it's such an honor to get to do that and, and to see that the godly men are there influencing. Matter of fact, um, there's a quote from Billy Graham about coaches. I thought it was fantastic. We even put it up there. Um, it said this, a coach will impact more people in one year than the average person will in an entire lifetime. And I believe that to be true. How many of you have been coaches in here of any kind that you've coached throughout the years? How many of you are influenced by a coach in your life? Look at all his hands. Thank you, coaches, for who you are. Um, I would challenge you on this, moms and dads, your coaches. You're coaching your kids how to be godly men and women. And so we have that responsibility and that honor. And even take it to another level, the administration. Um, where's Mr. Groff? Over here, the principal at Round Rock High School, Mr. Groff, right over here as well, um, which is fantastic. Some of you know this, some of you don't. Uh, Mr. Groff and I were roommates in college. Yeah. I would tell you some stories, but then he'll tell you stories on me. So I will refrain from those stories on that. But it's interesting, Matt, listen to this. Um, Good trivia here. In the 1910s and 20s, so way back in the day um, when Ed Ewald was born, and uh, (laughs) Round uh, Round Rock High School principals, including these men, J.A. Ferguson, B.F. Russell, W.R. Woolsey, and O.F. Perry. The principals of Round Rock High School in the 1910s and 20s were also the head football coach. So that tells me two things. You need to go by M.C. Groff is what you need to go by, and uh, Matthew Christopher. And if you need to call some plays, then that could probably be part of your job duty there. But, um, but it's, it's, it's great to have godly men on the campuses of the next generation. And, and I'm grateful for them and their friendship and, and what's going on with that. And the coaches that impacted my life, these coaches here still impact my life today. And, and I'm grateful for them and the partnership that we can have um, to impact the next generation. We believe in you guys um, probably more than you believe in yourself. And so thanks for that. What I want to do today for this, it's, it's a bit of a challenge to say, all right, give a message that we've well, got the football team here and we're going to do this, but also the church as a whole. How are we going to do it? This is what we're going to do. We're going to look at an old story in a new way. And that's what I want to kind of challenge us with. It's one of the top three stories, I think, in the Bible of all time. Now, the top two are easy. You have Christmas, Jesus born. You have Easter, Jesus died and resurrected. And those are pretty popular times um, that, that people go to church here. That's where they know. Number three on that list, I believe, is this, David and Goliath. 
Uh, that's probably the third most popular story in the Bible. It's used by sportscasters and coaches all over. The little guy beats the big guy. We're going to get going with this. This is going to be great. Um, it's an example all the time of overcoming obstacles and all the different things that are there. And so we're going to talk about it today. And, and, and I love the story because it's full of action. It's full of adventure. It's full of smack talk. It's full of all kinds of stuff. There's death. There's swords. There's fighting. I mean, it's awesome. It'd be a great movie. And when I get to heaven, I'm like, God, DVR that. I want to see that. And, and it's great. And so what I want to do is, is kind of talk about this that's going on. So we're going to read this story at this. If this sports center was going to run the highlights of this story, this is what we would get right here. This is where they would pick it up. They're like, yeah, there was this big guy, and he was talking, all this stuff kind of happened, and then this little guy showed up. Let's pick up the story there. 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be, starting in verse 40. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It will be on the screen uh, as well. But here's what happens. So David's there and shows up on the scene. You know the story, but listen to it as an action-adventure movie here. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, now that's the guy that would talk to smack. Hey, who wants a piece of Goliath? Hey, I mean, he's the one out there talking to smack, because Goliath's there going, Ugh. and so he's talking all the smack. He's the shield-bearer. Kept coming closer to David. So Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. Glowing with health and handsome, much like myself. And he despised himself. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. There's some smack right there. Come here, little boy. Let me show you what a man is. Let me show you how a man responds in battle. Let me show you what's going on here. Think you're tough, little guy? Let me show you. You're about to be eaten by the birds. You're about to be eaten by the wild animals. Your flesh will be gone. That's some smack right there. Like, that's some taunt. David responds. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Like, I will one-up your smack talk, big man. You think you're bad? Here we go. This is what's going to happen. Not only you talk about me, that I'm going to be eaten by the birds and the animals, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to cut your head off, and then everybody in the army is going to be eaten by the birds and the animals. What do you think about that? Like, dang. I mean, there's just some smack talk going on here. I love this stuff happening. So then verse 48, the action starts right here. And I picture it in slow motion in a movie. So as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, I will break you. Like this is what he is, big Goliath. Goliath's nine foot nine. Remember that. He literally is a giant, nine feet, nine inches tall. He is a big nasty up there. So he moves closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line. Oh, yeah. And he's coming at him because I don't know if his voice changed or anything yet because he's a boy. So he's coming out. I'll take you down. And so he's coming after him. I'll get you out. And so they're having this thing, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. This is fantastic. Goliath thinks it's hand-to-hand combat. We're going to go Roman Greco wrestling here. I'm going to grab you and pull your arm off, and we're going to feed. And David's like, no, I ain't getting that close. You bring a sword. I got a sling. Like, he's outsmarting him. So he does it. He, he runs quickly. He takes his bag. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Whew, bam. The dust flies, right? I mean, picture this thing. Jump into it. Put your little man sandals on and be in the story. 
So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. Yeah, how about that? I'd be 15 yards unsportsmanlike now. But he ran and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. I love that noise. Pulls it out, right? And killed him. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. His own sword. I mean, this is awesome to me. This is fantastic what's happening right there. And, and, and that day, David brought about this incredible victory. David won the day. David conquered the entire Philistine army. And if you read on, which I really encourage you to go back and read 1 Samuel 16 and 17 and get the whole big picture in here because we're just hitting some highlights. But he, he now leads the route of the Philistine army. And just as he said, there's dead bodies all over the place, man, in the ditches and everything. And here come the birds circling. Here come the animals. I smell death. I mean, they're coming to eat. Like, this was a feast for these animals. It wasn't just one little boy that's dead. It's an entire Philistine army that's been wiped out. And they come after him, and they're doing this kind of stuff. It's an incredible day. David was the MVP. David was the man. If it was a football season, that's his Heisman Trophy moment. Like, that's the moment they show in all the highlights. Like, he gets the Heisman. He jumped over, hit B, spin, go. I mean, this is what happened for him. David had his Heisman moment. He had his legacy moment. He had the moment that everyone would remember, and they are. We tell the story today over and over again. And I would say that everyone wants their own Goliath moment. We all want to rescue the damsel in distress. We all want to be the hero. We want to make the, make the, the game-winning play, the game-saving tackle. We want, we want to do these things and have our Goliath moment in there. Like when I was in high school. We had quite a squad in high school when I played. My senior year, there was a group of us. I believe we have. There we go. So you don't even know which one's me. They all have hair. <laughs> so you, you don't even know. You, you can guess. The correct answer is, it's not, who said 64? <laughs> I mean, I do, he still has great hair today, that guy. I'm the one next to him with the towel. With that really good-looking, solid chin. That was good hair, too, man. I ain't kidding. That was me. That's me in high school. Now, that was, that was my buddies. The guy behind me, Jimmy Neal, he was our center, 300 pounds. He was Goliath to me, man. That guy was crazy. And uh, when you play quarterback, we didn't do that snap it far away. We had to get up close. That guy was sweaty. Uh, I'm just saying. But, uh, but anyway, that was, that, was, that was who we were. I was the quarterback of the team. We have, we have a shot of my awesomeness here coming up. There we go. How about that guy? I think you're laughing a little too hard, honestly. Um, Look at the arrogance, that little guy. I probably would have hated him if he was in my youth group. But, uh, but that was me, quarterback of the team. And uh, my senior year, I threw two touchdowns. Now, first one was the very first play of the very first game of the season. They kicked off. We got it on the 20-yard line. 80-yard touchdown. Dang right. And you're thinking, you just drop back and let it fly. I would like you to think that. But really, the running back ran over here. I flipped it about a yard, and he went 80 for the touchdown. <laughs> That's how that happened right there. I just took it and said, hey, you go. And he just chill. He went 80 yards for the touchdown. Second one, uh, we were playing in Galveston at Galveston O'Connell, and uh, we, were, we were playing them. And uh, this also was an 80-yard touchdown. If I'm nothing, I'm consistent. And, uh, and this one was a hitch play. So the receiver hits with it. He just takes a step back, and I fire it with my cannon rocket arm, and, uh, and he catches it. And that's what's going to happen. So what happened? I see him out there. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I take it. I take one step back. 
and I load the cannon, and I'm ready, and I fire it out there, and the defensive back is reading Moby Dick. He finishes the book, intercepts it, goes 80 yards for a touchdown. It's uh, pretty much how that went down. So those were my two touchdowns in high school. Those were my glory days, uh, the Goliath moments of my life right there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the good news is we won both of those games um, before we went on to lose the state championship game that year. Um, but, but man, glory days. Next weekend is my, my high school reunion. I won't tell you how many years ago, something like 30. But, um, but we, uh, man, the glory days, we talk about them, like mostly in the car um, when my wife and kids can't get away. It's pretty much when I talk about it. They can't have no choice but to listen. But this this was David's Goliath moment, right? This was his all-American moment. This is his legacy moment. This is the moment that he's the hero, that he does all this stuff. But as much as we all want one, can I argue the fact that this, there's a reason that they're rare. There's a reason that there's not story after story after story about these. And I think it's because we only look at the highlights and we don't look at what got them there. And I think if we can take a moment to look at what got him there, how did David even get to this moment for which he is so famous? How did he even get to face Goliath? How did this all come about that's going on in there? So 1 Samuel 16, you'll have to go there. I'm just going to kind of tell you in one verse. Uh, God is looking. Uh, he sends Samuel to go find a king because Saul's kind of being a jerk. And so um, he, he's doing this. And he goes to see this guy, Jesse. And he says in verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse says, they're still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So David's out tending the sheep, doing this stuff. They call him in, and Saul ends up anointing him as the future king at that time. So he, he receives this blessing. Then he gets sent back out to the sheep. So he didn't just turn around later on that day and go, all right, I'm out. This is, I'm going to go kill a giant. Like, that's not what happened in that moment. But he was anointed as the king in this moment. And then later in chapter 16, Saul, who who really turned his back on God a lot, was being tormented by an evil spirit, is what it says. You can go read in, this, in chapter 16. He's being tormented by an evil spirit. All of his advisors are like, what do we do about this? Because he's a real jerk when that evil spirit's tormenting him. We've got to do something about it. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We need to find someone that can play the lyre, which is a guitar type thing. It's a stringed instrument. Um, but we're going to go get that. We need to find somebody. And maybe when they play some music, it'll calm him down. And they said, who plays the guitar like that? And they said, David. So they went and got David who had been playing his guitar for the sheep, I guess. But he, he comes in, and he's the one who now plays guitar. He had God's anointing on him. And I think any time when we're covered with God's anointing, we bring a peace with us to even those that are troubled. And, and so he's there in that moment, and he's playing guitar. So he didn't know that, that learning guitar was going to help him get into the presence of the king, but it did. And so he's, he's playing the guitar and doing that. Now, we fast forward to 1 Samuel 17. We come back into that chapter is where I want to go. So now, again, the, the, we know David kills the giant, but the giant's taunting him. He's done it for 40 days. He's come out every day for 40 days and say, you guys are terrible. Nah, nah. Whatever he's saying, talking smack to him and challenging him. David shows up to kill him. But how did he get there? How did he actually get to the battle? What was the physical way of him getting there? 1 Samuel 17, 12 through 15, and then we'll skip to 17 and 19. But it says this. Now, David was the son of an Ephraite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. Now, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David's making this journey uh, from the sheep to, the, to his brothers and back and forth. Now, Jesse said to his son, David, 
Take this ephah, which is 36 pounds of roasted grain, and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are, and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel, which I think is interesting. His own dad says, all the men of Israel there. You're not because you're a little boy. (laughs) But all the men are there in Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now, there's two things that we see in these quick verses in chapter 16 and 17 is this, that, that I think are vitally important for David having his Goliath moment. And there's something we can learn significantly from if we will listen well and not just gloss over for the highlights. We have, we have created a culture that lives on highlights. The news is highlights. Sports centers the highlights. NFL red zone. I mean, we live in that. Social media is just highlights of our life. And we have, we have gotten so used to highlights that we never look behind the scenes, that we never dig deeper to what's going on. And this is what we can do. Two things that I think David were involved in that was significant for him to even have this Goliath moment. Number one is this. He spent time alone doing the work, learning skills he didn't even know he would need. Like, what do you mean by that? What work are you talking about, Alan? Well, two things, learning guitar and, and watching the sheep. Now, learning the guitar, how do we know he was even good at it? Because he was invited to play it for the king. If you're terrible, you don't get invited to play that for the king. They recognized that. He had spent time with no audience other than sheep going, Meh, like they were booing him. And he's playing the dang guitar, not just fiddling around with it. He's mastering a skill that he never thought he would ever use. It's just to kill time while he's watching sheep, because that's an exciting job. And so he's, he's there, but yet he, mastered, he did the work when no one's looking. He never had a world tour. He didn't go on tour playing his guitar. He didn't do those things. It wasn't the glory he was pursuing. It was the skill he was willing to do when no one's looking. And the second thing is tending the sheep, which really isn't that very exciting. I mean, they're, all they do is smell bad and get lost. Like, who wants to go hang out with him? But he did. Now, was there the occasional lion and bear that he had to kill? Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Until so you think, well, he, he didn't have to do that. The lion and the bear weren't coming after him. The lion and the bear were hungry. They were looking at what was fluffy and yummy. They weren't looking at the dude with a weapon in his hand, a sling out there. They were looking at these sheep. And he could have easily just run away. No one would have blamed him. He saved his life. Man, what a great choice you made. You ran away when, when you could have, I mean, that's awesome. But he didn't because he was willing to defend what he had been given responsibility for. Even when no one was looking, he was putting in the work. He was fighting the lions and the bears, learning the guitar, not even knowing that those skills would come. He wasn't in training for some MMA fight. He wasn't doing that. He didn't know that Goliath was on the horizon. He did it because that's what needed to be done when no one was looking. That's impressive to me that he's willing to do that. What does that mean for us? I believe that this would be the weight room in the off season. I believe when no one's looking and everybody else is going to the beach and sleeping in, I'm in the weight room and I'm working out and I'm getting strong. I believe it's conditioning that no one else does because it doesn't seem to matter until it does matter in the fourth quarter. And then you recognize what's been done when no one was looking. I think it's going to bed on time so you can be fresh for your workouts. Or let me make it more personal. Going to bed on time so you can be fresh for worship on Sunday morning so you can give God your best. But instead, we'll stay up until 2 o'clock because we have to watch that game again because we have to do this because we have to do that. I think it's developing the discipline to be able to protect your brothers and sisters when the enemy attacks. 
Because he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he's looking to pick off those that are by themselves. Now you go isolate yourself, stay away from the herd, you're going to get picked off. We've got to fight for each other, not with each other. I'm sick of our culture fighting each other. What kind of message are we sending? Let's fight for each other. And that's, that's what this is. It's learning to read the Bible and pray when Netflix would be easier. It's honoring your parents when it would be easier to roll your eyes. No amens, parents, on that? Okay, I, I thought you, man, am I losing you here? It's using your story for God's glory even when your story is messy instead of hiding from it. You willing to do the work? Man, I hate that question because I have to ask myself that question. Are you willing to do the work? Second thing is this. So first he's spending that time alone. He's working on his skill. He's doing these things that no one's looking. Second thing is this. The way he even got to the battle was because he served his brothers. You want a Goliath moment? Start serving your brothers. And it was many times. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It says that he went back and forth from watching the sheep out to the battle, back and forth. And this time his dad says to him, son, I need you to take this grain. I need to take this bread. I want you to give it to your brothers. Take this cheese. Give it to the head coach. This is what's going to happen. Take it up there. Give me a report. Tell me if your brothers are okay. He could have easily said, dad, do you know how tired I am? Do you know what those sheep did last night? They were a pain. I got to kill a lion last night. Can I I get a nap? He could have made any excuse in the world to not go. He could have gotten a friend to do it. Hey, you're already headed here. Let me pack that on there. You take it to my brothers. Instead of looking for a way to not obey his dad and not serve his brothers, he stepped into it and kept serving his brothers, even when he didn't get glory. His brothers were the heroes. They were the warriors. They were the fighters. He's just a little freshman football player. He doesn't get to be on varsity. What? Are we willing to serve? Are we willing to serve our brothers as coaches, as players, as men, as women, as moms, as dads, as brothers and sisters? all the roles that we've been given, are we willing to step into serving? Because the only way he got to the battle was serving his brothers. How many opportunities have we missed because we failed to serve? I mean, Brett hammered us last week about that, that we need to be serving passionately, that we need to be jumping in and going in whatever skill set God's given us to do to use it for his glory. Even verse 28 says that his brother burned with anger at him and called him conceited and wicked. I'm sure that felt good. Hey, bro, I got some food for you. Well, you're a little jerk. I know you're wicked anyway. Get out of here, you cocky little jerk. I mean, that's how his brothers treated him. And he kept serving them. He kept serving them. He stayed humble and serving them. Now, there was something going on inside of him. He was riling up inside of him. I want you to look at this. We got these words up here, promise and payoff. Hopefully the guys at chapel recognize those words. I've used them a few times in chapel. But I think they're significant because these are the things that we love and we want. We love God's promises. And we love, we want the payout that comes as a result of the promises. Here's the problem. We've kept those two things connected. God's promises, God's payout, they they stay connected. That's what we think. Can I tell you that's wrong? God's promises are not connected to a payout. Like, well, yes, they are, Alan. God promises these things and he delivers them. That's what he does. Yeah, That's absolutely true, but they're not connected because between them there's a process. When God makes a promise and says there's going to be a payout, then we have a responsibility to go through the process. Like, Help me understand that, Alan. I don't understand. All right, let me give you some examples. 
God said, all right, people of Israel, I'm going to rescue you out of slavery in Egypt. That's what we're going to do. You're all captivity in Egypt. We're going to send the plagues. We're going to get all this stuff. We're going to get you rescued from there. And, and the payout is going to be the promised land. You're going to have this land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Here's the payout. You're going to get the promised land. Like, that's awesome. So did they leave Egypt and walk into the promised land? No. They went through a process of what? Forty years in the wilderness. There's a process. Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I, I recognize you're old and wrinkled and your wife's 90 and you're going to try to have a baby. What? Okay, that's the promise. I don't understand this. What's the payoff? Jesus came from the line of Abraham. But what's the process? Ah, uh, in the middle of that, you need to go kill your son. Really? Now, he obeyed up to the point of the sword at the neck. And then God goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And he sent a ram. And you know the story. Read it in Genesis 22. It's a fantastic story. But Abraham was willing to go through the process of climbing that mountain to kill his son. Noah, hey, man, I'm going to save your family because I'm fixing to wipe out this world. It is going to come like crazy. You've never seen rain like this in your life. What's the payoff? They survived the flood. What's the process? Oh, it's going to take you 100 years to build that ark, by the way. Start hammering. See, we don't want to go through the process. We, we don't want to recognize. David, you've been anointed as king. You're going to be a great warrior. i got all this great stuff for you. And the payoff, you're a man after God's own heart. That's what you're going to be known as. What's the process in between? Oh, by the way, you've got to go take care of sheep for quite a while. And you've got to serve your brothers. See, there's always a process that God is taking us through. He's allowing us to go through that. You want a Goliath moment? What's the work you're avoiding? The personal when no one is watching work. Who is it that you need to serve? That you've been avoiding that too. Or complaining about it. Or grumbling about it. There's value in serving. Are you willing to honor those that even make fun of you or look down on you like David's brothers did? It ain't going to be easy. God just says it's going to be worth it. There's a payoff coming. It may not be on your time schedule. It may not be in your daytime or the way you want it, but it's coming. I um, recently had to, to learn this, this myself in, in the process. I've had some issues. My hips and legs have been, I don't know, there's been some pain, some different things going on, maybe related to my knee replacement surgery a few years ago or other things that's happening, probably because I just work out too hard or something. But uh, that's not funny. And, uh, but it, it got to the point where, where I needed to go see a specialist. So, so what I did, I go and, and I see the specialist, um, Dr. Faulkner. Not that I would say doctor. I would say more like torture expert would be a more accurate phrase to use there um, in that. And, and each week after that, because I go in there and it hurts and grabbing and stretching and pulling and all stuff. And then I have to go home and do self-torture with this device here. Now, they give it a really nice name, foam roller. That sounds soft and cuddly, doesn't it? No, this hurts is what this does. And you lay, I'm not going to show for you, but you, you lay on like, you put it right above your knee and you flex it six times and you roll it against that, roll it, roll it, roll it until it hurts like crazy. And then do this leg and then do this angle, then do this angle. And then, I mean, all these different things. And I'm just, my kids laugh at me because I'm on the ground going, ah, I'm kicking out, this kind of stuff. The promise, I can get my flexibility back. The payoff, maybe I can put my shoes and socks on without it hurting like crazy. But the process, am I willing to do this every day? She says three, I think two would be a better number uh, times a day. But, but am I willing to do it? See, because to the level I'm willing to go through the process when no one's looking, 
is a result of the payoff that's going to be coming. See, that's, that's part of it. But we don't like it. We don't like the process because it's not fair. It doesn't feel good. It's not right. We've created this culture that everything has to feel good. Everything has to be sports center highlights. Everything has to be wonderful all the time. Well, you know what? It's not. You don't get to the Goliath moment without the process. You don't get on the boat without building it. You just don't do those things that are there. And, and we have to be willing to go through the process of following God's commands. We can't be okay with just being okay. God didn't create us to be okay. We were created for life abundant. Can I give you the ultimate promise and payoff? Let me explain it to you because it's a visual right in front of your eyes the whole time. The promise that God will forgive us of our sins. That's an incredible promise that the only person in the history of the world could ever make to us is God, and that he promises that he'll forgive us our sins. What's the payoff for that? Huh? What's the payoff? The payoff is that we get eternal life in heaven. That's a pretty good reward right there. But between the two, what's sitting there? It's the cross. Jesus went through the ultimate process for the cross so that promise could be delivered with a payoff, because without the cross, we have no hope. Without the cross, we have no payoff. And Jesus went through the process for us. So that we could have the payoff of eternal life. Because we are destined to hell because of our sin. And he says, I promise I will forgive your sin. And I will give you this eternal life. But you've got to go through the cross. That's what it is. I mean, the Bible says, deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow me. That doesn't feel good. That's part of the process. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Yeah, we all want to know the power of resurrection. You know how you go through that? You go through the suffering of the, of the crucifixion. You don't have resurrection power unless something dies. Have you been crucified with Christ so that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you? Have you been through that process? Because that's the only way to eternal life. That's all we got right there. We've got to disconnect the promise and the payoff and start going through the process. And we've got to embrace that process that's there. It's not just an easy fix to everything. That's what we've done in our culture. Take this pill. Everything will be fine. Go get the fat sucked out and you'll be skinny again. We don't have to do any work. There's a process for the payoff that you want. And we need to start, start focusing on, on, the, on what God asks us to do instead of what we think is right and fair. Because it's not fair. And I get that. I, I, I would even go as far as to say this, and we'll, we'll close up here in just a second. But... In the story of David and Goliath, I think that we have this false understanding that we're David. Like when we hear that story, we automatically identify with David. It's not who we are. You know who we are? We're the Israelites cowering in the corner, scared of the Goliaths in our life. Jesus is the David that stepped in. Now, how do we get to have that moment? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So we've got to understand that process that's there. And quit assuming that we're David and we can beat any Goliath that comes. You can't. Only God can. Do you know him? Now, this year, for our, our thing, we always get these bracelets, um, which I love. All the guys wear them. Um, only Round Rock guys get these things. They're, uh, they're pretty special. And uh, it always says brotherhood on there as a reminder of who we are together. And then on the other side is kind of our theme. Last year, relentless effort uh, was what we have. This year, it's the word grit. And grit's an interesting word. Um, yeah, we think John Wayne, true grit. But we, we think sandpaper. I mean, we think different things. 
But this is how I define grit is this. Doing what you don't want to do so you can be who you want to be. Everybody wants to do what they want to do. That's not hard to ask you to do what you want to do. But are you willing to do what you don't want to do so that you can be who you want to be? Or even more accurately, who God created you to be? That, that's the question. Now, grit is not magically delicious. Grit doesn't always taste good. Grit matters. Grit is what gets us through the process. Grit is what we add to get through the process because the process isn't always fun. But I will tell you this. Jesus did what he didn't want to do. Remember, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And he admitted it. Jesus did what he didn't want to do so we can be who we were created to be. So is that going to go to waste? Or are we going to recognize it and step into the process and have some grit? I challenge the guys all the time, grit or quit, your choice. But quit doesn't get a payoff. Grit does because you embrace the process of the promise and the payoff that's there of God. And he's offering that to you today. And if there's anybody in this room that has never made that step to, to give your life to Jesus Christ, this is going to be your chance to do that. I'm going to ask the band to come on up here if they could. Um, I would appreciate them doing that. And, and we're going to have a response time. Now, response I want to explain that so we understand. Response is not something that, oh, I have to respond by get up and moving. Response is a movement of your heart. If you're compelled with your legs to follow, then that's okay too. There will be prayer people up here to pray with you uh, if you need to come do business with God. But some of you may need to just sit in your seat and talk to God. Some of you may need to listen to the words that we're about to sing. Some of you need someone to pray for you. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm asking you to respond. What's the work that you need to do that you're avoiding? Who do you need to serve? Not so that you can have a Goliath moment and be great, but so that you can have the power of Christ come through you and you can go do what he's called you to do and really live out greater as he is in me and he is in the world. Because it all comes back to the cross. That's, that's the ultimate process. And we need to meet him at the cross. And so if you need Jesus for the first time and start a relationship with him, man, come grab me, talk to someone. There's plenty of here that know it. And let's, let's get that going right now. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Beyond that, what steps of obedience do you need to take? So I'm going to pray. After we're done praying, you, you stand and respond. They'll be singing. We're going to do two songs so it gives you time. You're not in a hurry. You're not anything there. We can just embrace this moment, and then we'll see what God does with it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for teaching us such great things.